Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. We're taking a fresh look at Psalms 23, and I am taking my time through this psalm. And I really believe God has given me some fresh revelation on this word and on this passage of Scripture, and I'm just sharing it with you as God has given it to my heart and, uh, uh, and just going through it and just uh, verse by verse, and we just exegesing it and doing the best we can. And hopefully you're, you're being blessed by it, and um, we'll just continue to try uh, to break down God's Word. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be going to several scriptures tonight, and I'm going to try to teach this and try to get this into your spirit and uh, because I really feel like a strong word. Now I'm going to take the next two Thursdays, and um, I'm going to talk, and I'm going to share with you in just a second, but I'm going to lay some foundation tonight, but next Thursday I'm going to talk about the specific of uh, what I'm going to talk about tonight. So, Because I believe that foundation is the key. If you're going to build truth on something, you got to make sure that the foundation is there. And, uh, and so we have to believe that the foundation uh, is there. So praise God. Psalms 23, and uh, if you want to begin, we'll begin reading, and we'll stop at the verse and where we are tonight, where we've left off. And uh, tonight our focus is going to be on verse 4, and the beginning of verse 4. And then, um, of course, we've gone through the first three verses. I'm not going to repeat or re- recuperate. You can watch the um, services online. They are logged, so you can go back and watch them if you've missed any. Uh, Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, and he restores my soul. He guides me, leads me, and paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And tonight, verse 4 is where I want to begin. And it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want us to particularly focus on the first part of verse 4, where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, 365 times in Scripture, uh, the term, God uses the term, fear not. And uh, uh, actually, you think about it, 365 times, it's one, one fear not for every day. And I believe that God uh, thinks that we have this propensity uh, to be afraid, that it's part of our nature. It certainly is the nature of a sheep uh, to uh, be uh, fearful, as we know sheep are very fearful, and uh, sheep get a bad rap sometimes. We've heard that sheep are the dumbest, some of the dumbest animals that there are, and that's true, they are. But the truth is about sheep is that sheep only become dumb when they become fearful. Matter of fact, if they're, if they're secure, they're, they, they are, they're, not, they're animals that can be trained. They're animals that are, uh, do have an intelligence. But what happens is when fear comes into the midst of sheep, then they become dumb. Then they become irrational. Then they become anxious. Then they become fearful. And so I believe God knew that the nature of man, his nature, was to be afraid. And that our propensity was to be to live and to be afraid. So we know that it's God's opinion. We know that it's God's opinion of ourselves uh, that we have this propensity to have anxiety or to be anxious in our life. 
And uh, many times, anxiousness or anxiety is mentioned in Scripture. It's used a lot. And, uh, and, and it's not a new thing that we see in Scripture. And, but anxiety and anxiousness has been blown up in our culture, of course, by many factors. But mainly, a lot of the anxiety that we feel today, uh, psychologists say that the root of much of our anxiety today comes from the very screen that you hold in your hand, that you look at all day long, that much of our anxiety comes from uh, our cell phones and the screen that we look, look at and lay on our bedstand every night, and uh, we hardly are departed from it all day long, which is our cell phone. And when we, uh, it's, it's very simple because uh, when we are stressed about family, when we're at night and we can't sleep and we're stressed about family, or we're stressed about work, or stressed about life, and you're wide awake at 2 a.m. looking at the ceiling, uh, uh, right awake, and you're looking. So to comfort ourselves, we reach over, and we grab that phone, and we begin to look at that phone, and, re- and we remind ourselves of, um, of the little comfort and look at that. And, and the truth is we find little comfort from looking at those screens because the moment you do while you are stressed you reach over you grab that phone while you've been looking at the ceiling while you've been laying there with anxiousness you pick your phone up and you look at your phone and what you realize is you begin to see people that are being blessed you see your friends in the Mediterranean on a cruise you see your friends being blessed by buying houses or a new car or got a new job and you're stressed and when you see that, all that anxiety comes upon you and you see that they're on a vacation, you say, well, I haven't been on a, a vacation and I haven't been on a cruise. And all of a sudden, anxiety, and all of a sudden, you, you say, well, uh, they may be on a cruise, but I hope a storm comes. Or, or we say, or we wish that, you know, and, uh, uh, I can't pay my mortgage, but they're on a cruise. And so there is this incredible uh, uh, anxiety that comes upon us. We create that anxiety, and uh, what happens is God knew that we had that propensity for anxiety. But when you read this psalm, this is a powerful psalm. This is just not nice poetry. This is not just a uh, a man of God that is speaking gently. Uh, uh, He is speaking here. There's grit and power in this psalm. There's guts in this psalm. When you read this psalm and you believe the principles of this psalm, it literally will save your life. And David, the writer of this psalm, it's interesting because we know David who was a warrior. He was a king. He was a leader. He was a man among men. He was a fighter. He was a musician. He was an author. He was a writer. He was a poet. And he was the consummate guy of all guys. David was a man of strength, and David was a man. David knew what it was like to live under pressure. David knew what it was like to live life at risk, to be misunderstood. David knew what it was like to be falsely accused. David knew what it was like to be abandoned by people in whom, in fact, he has given his own life to serve. David knew those things. David knew it was uh, a little... Uh, There were times David knew what it was like to have to take the high road in life. David knew what it was like to be in position to execute personal judgment 
upon someone or personal justice and, and the matter and take matters into his own hands, but yet he showed restraint. David knew what it was like to be tempted to run and to be on the run. David knew what it was like to sleep in caves alone at night. David knew the pressure of leading a nation as well as fighting off temptation. David understood the anxieties and the anxiousness of our lives. He understood those things. That's why when we read this psalm, this psalm is just not nice little poetry that we read and all of a sudden there's this soothingness in it. What we read when we read this, we read the anointing that was on a man of God that he himself understood the anxiousness in which you and I have to deal with each day that we battle each day. And David knew one thing for sure because we see it in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. And when David said the Lord is my shepherd, he, he, he's a Lord that makes me. He's a Lord that leads me. He's a, he's a Lord that guides me. He's a Lord that restores me. He is a Lord that knows my thoughts. And, and he is a God who takes the reins of our life. And David understood that in a world where there's anxiousness, in a world that he needed a shepherd, no matter how strong he was as a warrior, no matter how strong he was as an individual, no matter what the giftings he had in his life, he understood he needed authority in his life, and the authority that he needed in his life was the authority of the shepherd who led and guide him and became the direction for his life. And here in verse 4, we begin to see, in verse 4 it says, Yea, though, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to focus on those two words tonight, yea, though. Some translations, the NIV says, even though. The NSAB says, even though. Most translations say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, uh, we see that that is here where David, when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, we'll talk about that later, but when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, David knew that the shepherd had to get the sheep in the wintertime. He had to get the sheep into those green pastures that he had to lead them across valleys at time to lead them in places of provision. And the problem was is that when David would lead them into places of provision, David understood that the journey through the valleys and the journeys through the valleys, he called it the valley of the shadows of death, We'll talk about some of those valleys. Uh, but when he led them, it was in that moment, as he is leading them through the difficulty of the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, what this tells us is that life has val valleys. Life has difficulties. Life, there is a journey, and sometimes on the journey, there is difficulty. And David knew that though there was difficulty in leading the sheep, he knew that he was a shepherd that was anointed to protect the sheep. We have a Savior who is a great shepherd for us that though we walk through the valleys of life, he is a shepherd that even in the midst of valleys, he is a provider for our life. He is leading us, guiding us, restoring us. And he wants to lead us through the anxious moments of our life. But here's what I want you to see. 
that sheep don't get lost once they've reached a pasture. Because once they reach the pasture, sheep are too busy feeding on the goodness of the pasture. It's easy to watch sheep when they're in the pasture because they are, they are, they are being fed. They are, they are, they're naturally less fearful. They're, they're, they're in, 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 and they, they're kept together and strength and together, less likely for the wolves and the adders and all of the things that attack the sheep. Less likely wolves will attack packs of sheep. In numbers, there are strength. And so the shepherd watched over the sheep while they were in pastures was the most secure time uh, that a shepherd would have sheep. But it's on the journey. That's when he's leading them to these green pastures, when he's leading them through these pastures. And sometimes, if you've ever been to Israel, that many of these pastures that David led his sheep into, that they had to go through these very difficult valleys and over in order to reach them. Last week, we talked about an aimlessness that sheep problem was that they had sheep could not recognize the right paths to take that the shepherd had to lead them in the paths of righteousness because sheep was unable to discern what right paths there was and so sheep easily go astray when they're being led to another pasture when they're being led into those valleys when they're being led it's those anxious moments it's in those moments where there's danger, it's in those moments of vulnerability that sheep have the propensity to be led astray. And the Bible tells us, if Isaiah 53, 6, this is my text tonight, and this is where I want to spin off from. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid him and laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what that passage is telling us? It's telling us that when the sheep goes astray, means that when he's astray, it means that he's outside the voice of the shepherd. He has been, he's led down a path, he's gone his own way, a way that within his own reasoning he feels is the path, and, and he, will, he, will, he will leave outside the boundaries of the voice of that shepherd. That is the most dangerous, vulnerable time for the sheep. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have a sin nature. And our sin nature, the nature, our sin nature, has the propensity to lead us astray. I'm going to show you that tonight. It has the propensity to lead us astray. It has the propensity... That even though, even though I'm led astray, even though I go through the valleys of the shadow of death, even though I go through trials, even though, yea though, even though I go through difficulties, uh, even, even though the fig tree doesn't bud, even though grapes don't come on the vine, even though the crops don't come, even though the sheep uh, uh, lose their way, even though, even though, uh, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We can fear no evil for his rod and his staff comfort us and he is with us in the midst of it. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. The rod and the staff protect and the rod and the staff correct. And so we have to understand that in the valleys, when we're walking through the valleys, 
the way we, we uh, uh, keep from going astray is that we yield to the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff in our life as it leads us and guides us, and we don't get outside the voice of the shepherd. Now, I say that for a reason. We are living in unprecedented times. We are living in a time of what I would call that we are coming in. If you read um, uh, Matthew 24 and 25, I believe that we are uh, at the beginning of times that are leading us into the last days, and we are beginning to see some, some shifting. And I really believe that we are living in what the Bible calls the days of lawlessness. And, and here's, here's the thing. As we have gone through this coronavirus and we've gone through this season where we've been quarantined, we've had uh, our governors and our national leaders, and we've had uh, all of these giving instruction to our nation and, and, and what's happened is, is that we have had the choice to either obey those authorities and submit to them, or we have gone our own way and have ignored those authorities. And there are times when uh, we know that we're going to learn about authority and learn about dele- God's delegated authority, but we know sometimes authority can be overreach. That authority can get to the place of overreaching. And so we have to know that as we are living in these times of lawlessness, I'm going to explain that in a minute. While we're living in these times of lawlessness, we have to remember we're sheep of his pasture. And we cannot get outside the rod of his protection and correction. We have to learn not to go astray our own way. And the way that we do that as we learn not only to obey the authority of God in our life, but obey the authorities that God has set up in our life. And so there are times when we are challenged, when there are times when we uh, don't have to submit the government when they are stepping into the realm of immorality or they're stepping into the realm of uh, going against God's law. All of those things are are things that, that... disqualify uh, leadership or disqualify delegated authority in our life. But we also understand how will reader respond to authority in our life. God flows in our life through authority. God will bless you through authority. It's in understanding authority that God moves upon our lives and he blesses authority in our lives. And so we have to understand the importance of that. And the Bible tells us, what does it mean, the days of lawlessness? Matthew chapter 24 and verses 12 and 13 says, Because because lawlessness will abound, it's speaking of the last days, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. The Bible also speaks that you define sin by the sin of lawlessness. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 4, it says sin is lawlessness. The root of sin is lawlessness. And so we understand that. Lawlessness is a word that comes from the Greek word. It means a condition of being without law. It means because of ignorance or because of violating that law, 
It also means, lawlessness also means not to submit to the law or the authority of God. So lawlessness is rejecting the authority of God in every rim of our life. Areas of our life, God has appointed authority over our life. God's word is our authority, but also God puts authority over our life. He delegates natural authority over our life. He delegates spiritual authority over our lives. And so we must understand that in this day of lawlessness, we must respond correctly to lawlessness and understand that when lawlessness begins to run rampant in our society, we are not to bite on that lawlessness and go astray out of, away from the voice of the shepherd, or also go astray away from his rod and his staff that comforts us as we ride through the valleys of life. Vine's Greek dictionary describes lawlessness this way. It says that rejecting God's law or will, rejecting the law of God or the will of God, and it means to substitute God's law or God's authority for the will of self. In other words, what are we doing when we, when we don't submit to God's authority? What are we doing? We are substituting our own will. We're substituting the will of self in the midst of it. Now, Adam's sin, the original sin of Adam, we know that Adam's sin wasn't that Adam had an affair on Eve. Adam's sin was not a sexual sin. Adam's sin, the original sin in the garden, was the sin of disobedience, and it was his disobedience to God's authority over his life to where sin nature took over in Adam's life and was passed on to us. You say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 5 and verse 19, that through the disobedience of one man, sin made many, uh, or sin, many were made sinners. In other words, by the disobedience of one man, the sin of one man made many disobedient. In other words, it made men lawless to God's authority, God's established authority. In other words, the sin nature we have, that nature came out of Adam's disobedience to God. It was a lawlessness that now was born in the nature of every man that was born. It's why Jesus had to die so that we could have the pathway to be born again through the blood of Jesus and be restored back to Christ. That is why David said that one of the things that the shepherd does, the great shepherd is, is that he restores my soul. When you got saved, there was the restoration of your soul. And I want to hear to tell you God is about restoration. And I want to just say this to you. The spirit of the gospel, I was on a phone call yesterday with, with Pastor Keith, and he was on a, a Zoom meeting with uh, pastors from all over the world. There were pastors from Africa and pastors from uh, Italy and Great Britain and from Albania. Uh, there were pastors that were all over the world, and he was on a Zoom call, and they asked him to speak on the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And as Pastor Keith was teaching, he said something that I heard him say before, 
it's just reminded me again when he said it. He said that the spirit of the gospel is always restoration. The spirit of the gospel is not to expose. The spirit of the gospel is to restore. God does the exposing. God equips us to bring restoration to those who are lawless. In other words, our job, that is why Jesus, when the woman who was caught in adultery, the Pharisees, a religious spirit exposes. A religious spirit wants to tear down. A religious spirit wants to destroy the reputation of another individual. A religious spirit wants to destroy men to the place where they don't find restoration again. The Pharisees brought the woman that was caught in adultery and brought her before Jesus. And when they brought her before Jesus, she came before Jesus. And the Pharisees were furious because Jesus, what he did was, he said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he took the woman and he told her, he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, for they are all gone Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but go, go, listen, go, neither do I condemn you, but go, and here's the key words, and sin no more. What was the purpose of what Jesus was doing? The religious leaders wanted to stone her. The religious leaders wanted to kill her. The religious leaders wanted to expose her and embarrass her and make an example out of her to make themselves look more. Listen, the reason why people try to expose people and come against people and try to destroy people is because they try to expose so that they can make themselves more spiritual and to seem like they have more authority spiritually than somebody else. And their job, God has not given us the job to expose. God has not given us the job to. Now, it doesn't mean that we are not to reveal or that we are not to warn or that we are not to uh, warn or train. uh, But our job is not to bring destruction or the judgment to their sinful nature that God's desire is always that we are restored back to him that God always wants to restore our lives and to bring restoration to our hearts. And so God's authority is to be set up in our lives. And the great shepherd does that in our lives. And, he, and the, the authority of God, that when with authority of God flows in our life, then there is the perfect will of God that begins to flow out of our life. Now we know that God's authority has been established in the earth. We know that God has established his authority in the earth in three ways. God has established his authority in the earth through his covenant with man, through salvation. We have been redeemed by Christ. We now are sheep of his pasture. We are now have the authority that was taken back by Jesus, that was lost by Adam. We now have been given the authority to walk in dominion and to walk in the kingdom promises and principles that God has given each of us. We are now walking in authority. We can claim the promises of God. We can, uh, we can have the promises of God. We can trust God's promises in our life because God has given us authority as long as we walk in obedience to God. We have access to the covenant that God has with man. That tells us this, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you and I. And we have authority. We have that authority. 
God also established the authority of the family. I want to tell you right now that this world and secular humanism did not establish the family. God established the family. God established marriage. God set the boundaries for marriage. God identified marriage. Marriage is not defined by what our opinion is of what marriage is, what we think marriage is. I'm here to tell you marriage comes out of the authority that Scripture tells us that God has divinely orchestrated the family and how the order of the family is to be. God designed it and said that if, you, if your family is in order, then my blessing will be upon your family. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. God created Adam and Eve. He established his marriage. He established a family based on the binary principle of the scripture. He created man and he created woman. And God established that. Nobody can change that. They can change it, but when they do, they're operating in the spirit of rebellion and they're operating in the spirit of lawlessness. And when they operate in the spirit of lawlessness, I'm here to tell you God's blessing is not on that. They can say that they pray to God and that God is in the middle of their marriage all they want. God is not because God is the author of true biblical marriage. I don't mean to make anybody mad. I'm just here to tell you that truth is truth. God has given us the covenant of the church. He's established his authority through the church. God has given his church and he has set his church up. He has has established authority in his church. The New Testament church has the principles of authority. God established it all the way through the Old Testament, through the dispensations. God Uh, revealed himself to man and required men when they have relationships, how they're to come before God. Now as we live in this age of grace, we live in a time when God is requiring us as the church to have order in the church. God has established authority in the church. We are to submit to that authority, but we also know that God has established authority over us in the sense that God has delegated authority to rule even in the earth. The Bible says all authority comes from God. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But I want to begin tonight in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 15. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I want us to see something tonight. And I want you to see uh, when we begin to look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And, uh, you know, God rejected Saul as king. And uh, Saul was the first king of Israel. If you remember, Israel wanted a king. They cried out to God for a king. God said, you don't need a king. I'll be your king. But the children of Israel desired a human king because all the other nations had kings. And God warned them and said that it's not going to work out well for you if you decide that you want a human king. And they did. They continued to push God. God gave them what they wanted. I'm here to tell you, God will give you what you want but you may not want what you get. And so they pushed and pushed, and God gave them a king, and they chose Saul. And God warned them. And, uh, and in 1 Samuel 15, we see God, uh, he all of a sudden, now uh, God, uh, Saul was an arrogant, half-hearted king. He was a man who didn't do what God had wanted him to do, and he, he rebelled against God. He rebelled against God. He had a rebellious attitude toward God. And now 
the children of Israel, uh, because they rejected God's direction, he gave them a king in Saul. Saul was a half-hearted man who rebelled against God, and his rebellion against God led them into a place where the hand of God was not upon Israel, and that, that now God was now lifting his hand off of Saul because of his rebellion. And the Bible said, secretly, God led Samuel to the house of Jesse, and he anointed David from the sheep's fold, if you remember the story. And, but he anointed David, he anointed David, but he did not become king immediately. He anointed him to rule, but he had not been promoted yet. He put his anointing on David, but David had not been appointed yet. He put his hand on David and appointed him as king, but, or anointed him as king, but God did not give him that appointment yet. In other words, some people, there is an anointing on their life, but they never get promoted because they never wait on God's promotion. They push their own way toward their promotion. David was a king that was in waiting. And so from that point on, when Saul knew, Saul tried to destroy David, but David never rebelled against Saul, and he never again rebelled against Saul when he was king. He never broke that authority. He never broke the authority that Saul was, even though Saul was not anointed, he was still appointed as king. And David never broke that authority. And it's interesting to me. Years ago, there was a book, and I recommend it to anybody that uh, would want to read it. It's a book that changed my life. When I was an early Christian, I went through a discipleship class, and there was a book that I read. It's still out. It's been printed three times. And uh, when I first came here as pastor, uh, I issued this book uh, to those who were uh, on staff here at the time. And we read the book. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. It's, it's authored by a guy by the name of Gene Edwards. I recommend that every Christian get that book and read that book. It's only about 100 pages. It's a small book. It's not very long. It's called The Tale of Three Kings. It speaks of the authority, God's authority, and how we are to respond to God's true spiritual authority in our life. David, it, what he did was absolutely remarkable in the way that he submitted to God's authority and he waited for God to promote him and to put him in the place of authority. We can learn lessons from David. David is the one who wrote Psalms 23. And when David writes Psalm 23 and he says, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he understood there were times that in the valley of the shadow of death, there's the temptation to lead away and stray away into our own way. Just like he knew those sheep could stray, he understood that the sheep could not get outside the shepherd's voice or the shepherd's rod or the shepherd's staff. And so we see that great men and women of God are exalted by God as they humble themselves under God's direct authority. Delegated human authority on earth, there are no exceptions. When we humble ourselves under God's direct authority, God's delegated authority on uh, human authority on this earth, that's when God promotes us. That is, there is no exceptions. 
You know, Jesus even himself submitted to his father and his mother. We see through the life of Jesus that Jesus submitted unto his parents, that Jesus himself became submitted, and uh, he waited for God to his time. He waited on God, even though Jesus was anointed. We saw at 12 years old that he was confounding the wise. He was sitting with the wise men of the the gate and the temple, and he was confounding them with his wisdom. And yet his mother came for him and brought him home. He said, I must be about my father's business. But she says, look, you're coming home. And so Jesus himself even submitted into his parents. And when he was 30 years old and his mother told him to turn the water into wine, Jesus obeyed his parents. He understood spiritual authority, delegated authority in his life. He understood, he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar and render to God what is God. Jesus himself understood and walked in delegated authority. And uh, uh, God used delegated authority in the life of Jesus. God will use delegated authority in our life. He was anointed when he was 12 and he was anointed when he was 30. But he obeyed delegated authority. The scripture truth about God's authority and submission to his authority, the spiritual truth why we need authority in our life. And I want to talk about that tonight. Why do we need spiritual authority in our life? What does it mean to have spiritual authority? Now, I do want to get to a certain place tonight, so I may have to skip a couple of things in order to get there, but I do want to get there. Number one, spiritual truth of why we need authority in our life. Number one, because of our sin nature, the only other alternative would be chaos. In other words, because of our sin nature, if we do not submit to authority, God's authority, then the other, only other option for our life is chaos. That's why Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Now, I want to tell you that secular humanism is the official religion of the United States. We're living in a post-Christian nation now. Humanism is, the, is now the official uh, authority and ant- uh, authority of the United States. And, it, and, and, and human uh, our secular humanism doesn't believe that we have a sin nature. And that is why it is anti-authority. That is why it's anti-authority. Because, because of the erosion of authority in our culture, we are now beginning to see the rise of lawlessness in our, in our nation. Remember what I told you that in Matthew 24, it says that there is coming the day when lawlessness and, and the day of lawlessness is coming when we are going to begin to see the lawlessness rise in the streets and we're going to begin to see it. I believe we're beginning to see it. Man's rejection of God and God's authority. Now we are beginning to see men who are doing that which is right in their own eyes. Now stay with me tonight. And we need authority. We need authority in our lives. We need authority because we all have gone astray. But we as a nation at times has rejected authority that God has set up in our lives, we've rejected national authority. We've rejected, uh, rejected uh, governmental authority in our life. We've rejected spiritual authority in our life. And when we do that, we have gone astray. We have gone away from the voice of the shepherd, and we've gone away from the place, and we've gone away from the rod of God's protection and the staff of God's correction and God's purpose in our life when we have gone astray and when we have rejected God's authority. Now, I'm not talking about uh, authoritative 
authority. I'm not talking about abusive authority. In other words, I'm talking about truth, uh, authority that is set up with truth. Lawlessness is literally killing this nation and destroying this nation. And so we have a sin nature. Because of our sin nature, the only other uh, answer to society, if we don't yield to the authority of God in our life, is that our lives will remain in chaos. Some of our lives are chaotic because God has not established his authority in your heart, in your home, in your life. You've never understood what it's like to submit to God. You've done things your way, and God wants to set up his authority in your life and my life so that we come up under the shepherd so that when we ride through the valleys of the shadow of death, even though we're in the valleys of the shadow of death, we have the great shepherd that is protecting us and leading us. Number two, spiritual truth and why we need authority in our life. Number two, God is the originator of authority. Satan is the originator of rebellion. In other words, if you believe in authority and submit, then you have a kindred spirit with Christ Jesus. When you yield to God's authority, God's delegated authority, God's authority in our lives, then you come into agreement with God and you have submitted to God. You have a kindred spirit with Christ. But rebellion, you have a kindred spirit, which is the devil and Satan himself. That is just the truth of Scripture. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 13. I want to read a passage of Scripture there and begin to take you through uh, this a little bit. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13 and beginning in verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Listen, there is authority. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Uh, human authority, delegated authority, spiritual authority has all been delegated by God. He has put them there for our good. All authority exists from God. God has put it in our life for a very, very, very important reason in our life. He goes on to say, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. What is God saying? Those who step outside the bounds of God's authority and resist God's authority, they bring a consequence on themselves by walking in their own way astrayed from the leading of the shepherd. The shepherd says, God's put authority in your life for a purpose. That delegated authority is for you and for your purpose and that we are submit to that delegated authority. Verse 3, for, rules, for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil. But you want to be unafraid of the authority. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute, execute wrath on those who practice evil. In other words, we have to understand that when God has set up authority in our life to be minister to our lives, Delegated authority, spiritual authority, God is set up for the purpose of enhancing our lives. And whether that authority that God has put over us, whether we agree with that authority all the time or not, God has put it there. God has placed it over us. 
and we are to learn to submit to that authority unless that authority comes to the place to where it becomes authoritarian in our life or it comes outside the bounds of God's word or it becomes abusive in our life, then we can step outside the bounds of that. But God says that God has put it as his ministers into our life. Verse 5, therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Verse 6, for because, because this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending to continuing to this thing. Render therefore all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to him honor. Now what God is saying in this passage of Scripture He's telling us that God has put authority in our life for a specific reason. That authority is there in our lives in order that though that authority is there, it's an authority that God is using in our lives. And we are to submit to that. We're to submit to the government authorities. We're to submit to the uh, relationship authorities in our life, spiritual authorities in our life. We're to submit to the police authority in our life, the government authority. Our bosses are authority in our life. Even though we may not like them, they may not make decisions that we like, God has put them in our life, and we're to submit to them. We submit to them as though we submit ourselves unto God. And to not do so is an anti-Christ spirit that is on you. It is a rebellious spirit. Rebellion makes you a kindred spirit with the devil. And so if you'll turn over to the book of Thessalonians, I want to read a a passage of Scripture in Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to talk about lawlessness for a moment. And I want to talk about the, the, the lawlessness. The lawless one is the devil incarnated. Look at uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. It talks about the coming of the Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit that is now at work in the world, and hopefully we'll be able to recognize rebellion and know what the lawless one is. Beginning, and let's begin in verse... Uh, uh, verse 3, we'll just read from verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and his worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now that is a picture of a rebellion and lawlessness because what rebellion does, it comes into the heart of man and he sets himself up in the heart of man where God is supposed to rule, where God is supposed to be the authority. This is a picture of the Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit in the last day. Continue on. Verse 5. Do you not remember when I was with you, I told you these things? Verse 6. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only. We know now who restrains will also do so until he is taken away, until he's taken away. And so we know the lawless one, the devil incarnated, he when he comes, the working of lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness is already uh, working. But when the lawless one is revealed, when the Antichrist shows up, then what God does is he removes that which is restraineth lawlessness. Right now, the only thing that keeps chaos from the earth is, is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the church. 
you remove the church when the church is raptured and out of here and you remove the Spirit of God out of here, convicting men, lawlessness will reign the earth. That is the, the Antichrist's moment when he will rise and begin to rule the earth. The Bible said, uh, uh, the Bible tells us that the devil inhabited Judas the moment at the Last Supper and he embedded into Judas, Judas's rebellion. Remember, Judas became jealous of the woman whose, 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 uh, whose extraordinary worship was offensive to Judith because, because, because uh, he thought that he represented authority. He did represent authority, the, 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 the spirit of the devil. And the spirit of our culture is the spirit of re- is rebellion. Antichrist spirit is at work in our, our day, and I believe he himself is here. Listen, uh, I don't know when the Antichrist is going to be here. He may be living on the earth right now. But we know that the lawless spirit that rejects the authority of God is already at work in the earth. Anything that rejects the word of God is lawlessness, is rebellion, is anti-authority against God, and has a lawlessness spirit about it if it rejects the word of God. And it says, he who restrains is the Holy Spirit and the church. If you remember, Satan uh, fell from heaven because, remember, he was perfect and he was without a sin nature, but he chose, he chose to rebel against God. That tells me this, that rebellion has to do with the will that rebellion is in the heart. We choose to rebel against God. And so Satan, who is the author of rebellion and lawlessness, chose to rebel against God and was separated from God. And we all uh, have this nature to rebel against God's authority. We all have this nature, but we have to choose to submit ourselves to God and His Word. It doesn't mean, listen, here's the interesting thing about submission. Submission doesn't mean anything until you you're in disagree, until you're until two wills are against each other. In other words, submission does not come into play until you disagree. It's easy to submit with who you disagree, who you agree with. And really submission is not challenged in our life until we disagree with the authority that is over us. And when we disagree with them, then we, we have the decision whether we're going to submit to the authority that God has given us or are we going to go our own way and stray away from God's authority in our life. Jesus, when he was in the garden, he said this. He prayed this prayer, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus prayed. It wasn't his will, but he said, let your will be done. Let not my will be done. In other words, Jesus was like, I don't want to go to the cross But according to your will, he submitted unto the will of Christ. Number three, rebellion against God's direct or delegated human authority is a serious sin with serious consequences. Now, I want to take you to where I wanted to go tonight, and I want to show you something, and then we're going to close. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I'm only going to get to this part tonight. uh, But what I'm going to do next week I've laid this foundation, and I'm going to finish this foundation of spiritual authority. And then next week, I'm going to talk, I'm going to show you how David, there were four tests that David had to pass in order uh, for him to be promoted to kingship. He was anointed king, 
long before he took the position of king. Some say it was up to 10 years David waited for the throne. And he had many opportunities to take the throne outside the will of God, but he resisted to do that because David was a heart, a man after God's heart. He submitted under Saul's authority, even though Saul's authority was rebellion, even though Saul's authority was wrong, he learned to submit unto Saul, and he learned that, and that was God's delegated authority over his life. He submitted to that, and because of that, God promoted him, and God led him, and there were four things David did. I'm going to tell you those next week, but I want you to see this. I want to talk about witchcraft, rebellion for just a moment. I want to get this into your spirit. I want you to see this tonight. Number three, rebellion against God's direct or delegated human authority is a serious sin with serious consequences. When you rebel against God's authority in your life, that is a serious consequence. God does not take lightly the spirit of rebellion in men's hearts. God does not take lightly the spirit of rebellion when men rise up against authority that God has put in their life. And there's a way we have to understand how to discern authority in our life. There's a way to do that. We'll see that in the life of David next week. And what I'm telling you is that as long as God has set authority up in our life, and that authority is not abusive, that authority is not authoritarian, and in the sense where it takes away our human dignity, or against God's word, we are required to submit to that authority whether we agree with that authority or not. To do so is rebellion. I cannot say that enough. Much of the church, the hand of God has left the church because we have lost the ability to submit to authority God has put in our life. And so because of that, the anointing has lifted off of us because the church is out of order. The church has lost order. Everybody wants to be in charge except for who God has put in charge. So when we look at this tonight, I want us to look at his word. 1 Samuel chapter 15, rebellion is the sin. Look at, go down to verse, uh, actually let's start in verse 22. We'll read through this and I want you to see this tonight. I'm going to close with this. And it says in verse 22, has the Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than the sacrifice. Listen. To obey is better than the sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Now listen, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, for he has rejected you from being king. Samuel came to Saul, and he has rejected Saul as king now, And David has been anointed, but he's not been appointed. God has rejected Saul as king. Samuel comes to Saul. This all began when God told Saul to kill all the Amalekites, and Saul did not obey what God said. He did not utterly destroy them. He left livestock, and he was to destroy their king. He was to destroy all that they had. That was God's instruction. And Saul let the king live. He let the people decide what to keep and not to keep. He brought livestock back. And what he did was he came and he made sacrifice when God told him to wait on Samuel to come 
and Saul did things his own way. He walked out of the obedience of God in his life and God's delegated authority in his life and God removed the kingdom from him uh, because of his disobedience. And Saul, when he was confronted, you will see in verse 26, when he was confronted in verse 26, he blamed the people. Instead of repenting, just repenting, which he eventually did, he repented, but he still had to suffer the consequence of repentance. And really, when you read a repentance here, the word repentance here is not that Saul, that Saul was sorrowful in repentance to turn back to God. It was repentance of sorrow. In other words, he was sorry for what he did. In other words, he was just sorry that he got caught. He wasn't sorrowful to return back to God for right relationship. It was a, it was a lackadaisical repentance. And because of that, consequences still came upon his life. The people, Saul said the people wanted to do it. And even though he was king, he blamed someone else and he was rejected by God. And, and, and he, he, he was confronted by Samuel. This was part of Saul's half-heartedness to God. He did half of what God asked him to do. He did part of what God wanted him to do. But God doesn't want your sacrifices. God wants your obedience. Saul said, look, I brought back I brought back all of these uh, livestock and sheep to sacrifice. And Samuel said, God did not want their animals and their sacrifice. God didn't want you to decide what was best for the people of Israel. God told you what to do, and he commanded you to do. But your rebellion, Saul, you, you, you lived in rebellion, your half-hearted life toward God. He took his anointing off of you because you rebelled against God. In other words, it doesn't matter what your gifts are. It doesn't matter what works you do, what talents you have. It doesn't matter what you, you believe your anointing is. I'm here to tell you that if you're in rebellion towards God, that if you are in a place where you have rebelled against the obedience of God, I'm telling you it doesn't matter how gifted you are, God will lift his hand off of your life if you walk in disobedience to God and his authority in your life. He blamed the people. And here we see, now he says something in verse 23 that I want us to see. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, witchcraft is a religion without deity. In other words, witchcraft really is the worship of natural things or the earth. Witchcraft is the manipulation of people. It is uh, the manipulation of people and resources to get their own way. Saul, in other words, Samuel was telling Saul, for your rebellion, the sin of witchcraft, it was as though you were manipulating the resources you had to get your own way. It's the worship of the natural. In other words, I'm going to make a potion, a lotion, and a motion. In other words, I'm going to work my way until I get what I want. The spirit of witchcraft works its way till it gets what it wants. The spirit of witchcraft will manipulate until it gets what it wants. The spirit of witchcraft is half-hearted toward God, but it's going to make sure that the end is to the end that it wants, regardless of who it hurts or what the consequences are. Witchcraft is the manipulation of God's people, the manipulation of God's authority, so that you can get the expected end that you desire to get. Now stay with me. 
to get, to get where I want, to get what I believe belongs to me. In other words, uh, it says that you're going, I'm going to make you, I'm going to manipulate you to like me and to fall in love with me. I'm going to manipulate you to come over to my way of thinking, to come over to the way that I feel things are. In other words, I'm going to manipulate you so that I can get my own selfish way. Saul was manipulating Samuel. He was manipulating the children of Israel. He tried to manipulate God. God said, you did not obey me. You did not listen to me. What I spoke to you, you operated in rebellion. And in that rebellion, your rebellion is like witchcraft. That rebellion is like someone who manipulates and that rebellion. Now listen, most Christians don't reference Scripture when they make important decisions in their life. Matter of fact, the criteria that they use is always not so much to seek out what God's Word says. Most Christians make decisions based on what is best for them, not what God says to them to do. I want us to see also that witchcraft is the manipulation. But look, and I'm going to show you something about Saul in just a second. Then it said the stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. In other words, stubbornness is like idolatry, it is like iniquity. Iniquity is that which is passed on from generation to generation. It's passed on from generation. Idolatry is the worship of something above God. So stubborn here is the stubbornness. Why is stubbornness like idolatry? Because here's what stubbornness is. Stubbornness is the worship of one's own opinion. In other words, Saul worshiped his own opinion. He lived out his own opinion. Stubbornness is like idolatry because it's the worship of my own opinion. It's the worship of not necessarily what God says, but it's what God says plus what I say. It's the stubbornness is the worship of what I think is right, what I believe is right. Stubbornness promotes self. Stubbornness promotes one's, one's own personal way. It promotes, it promotes uh, uh, stubbornness. It promotes ourself. What God is looking for us is the walking godly principle. Permit, principle promotes others. Principle promotes God's best. Principle and God's obedience promotes what God desires to happen. See, in other words, uh, if, I don't, if you don't agree with me, then I ain't going to do it. In other words, uh, it, is a, it is a position... It is a, uh, we have to learn to submit to God's authority. Saul did it his own way, and God said, you will no longer represent me, Saul. You will no longer be a representative in, in my life. You will no longer be represented as my king. Now, listen to this. I want you to hear this. As I close and as I finish tonight, I want you to understand this. Where we have God says to Saul that that you have used witchcraft and stubbornness to manipulate your own way. Now here, Saul has been a, is still appointed. He's still in the position of authority, but he does not have anointing. When you live in rebellion, you can manipulate your way to get what you want. You can manipulate your way to get into whatever you want. If you want a position, you can manipulate to get there. If you want to manipulate your way and use witchcraft to gain access to certain things and you use that rebellion, 
But just because you're appointed to it doesn't mean you're anointed in it. And I'm here to tell you that people that have lived their life in rebellion, that have lived their life in rebellion, that has manipulated so they can get the way they want. Listen, if, if, if you, I learned very early uh, as a minister that I had to learn, and we'll talk about this next week, I had to learn to come up under the authority that God had put in my life. I could have gone out and rejected every form of authority that God put in my life, and I could have gone and done what I wanted to do. And there's a lot of people that do it. There's a lot of people out there that are in ministry, that are doing what they want to do, because they, but they can't be taught. They're outside the voice of the shepherd. They walk into the valley alone. They're vulnerable. They're outside the covering of God. They do not respond to God's correction. They do not respond to God's uh, authority in their life. They do not respond. They're not protected. They're out of the shepherd's protection in their life. But they're doing what they want to do. And a lot of people only want to do what they want to do, but they don't understand that if they would have let God promote them, and let God put them in the position that he has for them, they would be much more fruitful, they would be much more effective, and that the hand of God and the anointing of God would be on them greater than what they could ever imagine the hand of God being. And I want to tell you that you, God is your promoter. God is the one that promotes you. You don't promote yourself. God opens the door for you. Paul said it like this, For the Lord hath putteth me into the ministry. I'm here to tell you that God is your promoter. Now, there is always a time between God's anointing and God's promoting. There's always test in the middle of God's anointing and God's promoting, of God calling and God placing, God calling and God positioning. I'm telling you, there's some Christians, they're saved for six months, and they think they have all the answers to the gospel. And they want to do ministry, but they don't know how to come up under authority in their life. But that's all right. Go do what you want to do. But I'm here to tell you that if you want true anointing in your life, we all have to learn how to come up under the submission that God has placed in our life. We have to be submitted in every area of our life. We have to be submitted in every area that we have in our life. And we saw he held the position, but he didn't have anointing. David was seeking promotion, but he wasn't promoting himself he still submitted to the authority of God. You know, David had the opportunity to kill David, to kill Saul twice. If you remember one night, Saul and his army was sleeping, and David and his men, mighty men, came into Saul's camp, and he left the spear beside Saul as he slept. He had the opportunity to take Saul out, but he did not. He was hiding in a cave, and Saul came in, and Saul came in to relieve himself. And when he came in, David cut the garment off the back of his, of his cloak. And David took it and le showed it, left it with Saul to show that he could have taken Saul out, but he never did. David could have forced his way into the place of authority, but he submitted underneath Saul as long as Saul was there. If you remember when Saul fell on his sword and died and committed suicide, a young man came to David and he wanted the allegiance of David. He wanted to make David think, that he was in allegiance with him and he brought Saul's crown and he brought Saul's sword and he brought it to David and he said to David and he admitted that he was the one that killed Saul for David and trying to prove his allegiance and David said this, how in the world, who has told you that you can lay your hand upon God's man, upon God's appointed authority 
And so David killed the man because he knew that the man was rebellious in the system of his heart. God sets up delegated authority in our life so that he could lead us and guide us and direct us in our lives. God sets up authority in our lives so that he can direct us and lead us in paths of righteousness. And so he leads us and so he brings us to this place. We have to understand the power of delegated authority in our life. This is a powerful verse of Scripture. And we all have to learn how to come up under that authority that God places in our life. The Bible says in James chapter 4 that when we resist God's authority, we are resisting God. But God gives grace to the humble, to those who don't resist God. The Bible says God will resist those who resist His authority and resist Him. Some people say, well, I feel like God's against me. Well, He may be. If there's rebellion in your life, God is resisting. Why does God resist? Not to destroy you. God resists you from going off the cliff. God resists you from going down a path that brings destruction. God's resisting you because he won't want you to go down that path. He's trying to keep you from a path that's going to lead you to destruction. In other words, God resists the way of the proud, the Bible says, and so that God resists so that destruction does not come to your life, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives He gives grace to the humble. We find grace in God's protection. He will give grace in any area that we submit ourselves unto him. Verse 10 of of James 4 says, Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. In other words, it means this. It means to come up under the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority. It means to come up under one's opinion. It means to come up under his opinion and he will lift you up as you humbly become under his, his opinion. You know, the Bible tells us about salvation. The Bible says this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says that if we believe in our heart and believe that Christ was raised from the dead and confess our sins, the Bible said, and confess him as Lord, Jesus, the Bible says that, that, our, that, that our sins are forgiven. But it uses the word there, if we confess him, Lord Jesus, which means kingship. Not just confess Jesus, but confess him Lord of our life. Is Jesus Lord of your life tonight? Is Jesus the Lord of our life? Is he the one that has control of our life? Is he the shepherd that even though, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we go through the valleys, is the shepherd leading you? Are you submitting to the authority of the shepherd as he leads you through life? Are you submitting to the shepherd tonight? Have you yielded your your heart to God's delegated authority? Have you yielded your heart to God's spiritual authority in your life? Have you yielded to God's word, which is an authority in your life? We all have to tonight. And so I want to encourage you tonight. God's authority is there to protect us. It's there to lead us and guide us. And God's authority in our life is there to bring anointing on our life and the giftings of God on our life. There's nothing more heartbreaking than someone who's out, who leads their life with the spirit of rebellion, but yet has many giftings that God has put in them. They never, ever learn to be promoted to God's kingdom because they always live in the spirit of rebellion by always rejecting 
God's authority in their life. Let's pray tonight, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you always keep your heart open to God's authority. Always keep your heart open to God's leading and direction in your life. We all have to learn to submit under God's authority and the the authorities that He puts in our life. I'm telling you, the spirit of rebellion is in the earth. It's in society. It's in our culture. We're seeing it in our nation. And I want to tell you, the sad thing is, it's just as strong in the church as it is in the world. Because we don't want to submit to nobody. We don't want to come under God's delegated authority. And we don't want to submit. We don't, we don't, want, we don't, want, we don't want nobody to tell us what, we're, what to do because we're not going to be told what to do. We've decided in our hearts we're going to do what we want to do. And I want to tell you that when you come against what God has anointed as authority, when you come against that thing, then you, the Bible says in Romans 13, when you come against that authority, whether it be a delegated authority, natural authority, it could be your parents, it could be your boss, it could be, it could be our governmental authorities, it could be, it could be your spiritual authorities, it could, be, it could be people that God has put in your life. It could be those that God has placed in your life. When you come up under that rebellion, you, when you rebel against that, you suffer the consequences of that. And listen, the reason Saul, the reason, listen, when you lose anointing on your life, when God takes anointing away from your life because you have rebellion, the only thing you have left is witchcraft and manipulation. That's how some people run in the church. That's how you do the church. Everything's about, everything's about manipulation. Who can I get to think the way I think? Who can I get? Because true authority doesn't have to say anything. True authority just walks in it. True authority walks in that position not because they're better than anyone else. They walk in that position because God has put them there. God has put that boss in your life. God has placed them there for a reason. Maybe he's teaching you something. Maybe he's teaching. Maybe maybe we get the leadership in our nation that we deserve. Maybe because we are rebellious in the nature of our heart, maybe that's why God has given us such rebellious leaders in our nation. Maybe that's why witchcraft and manipulation is what we see in our government houses anymore. Maybe it's because it's what's flown out of God's people and God gives us what we deserve. The judgment of God, the consequences of God comes upon us when we fail to yield to the authorities God has put in our life. I'm here to tell you, God, if we're going to have a move of God in order, if we're going to have God move in our hearts, if we're going to be the people of God as we come out of this quarantine, we must understand that you think this is the last time that we're going to have to yield to authority when the government stands up. What are you going to do when the government stands up and tells you that, that, that you can no longer uh, have freedom to do this or the freedom to do that? What are you going to do when they start enacting even more intrusive laws into your life? And we have to understand that we need to have a spirit of submission and it doesn't mean that we, we, that we step in and regard abuse or authoritarianism, that we submit to that blindly, but it does mean this. It does mean that we are to have the heart of God, but I'm telling you, if you're on a path on your own way, you're not going to hear the shepherd's voice. What happens is the sheep get fearful and afraid and they become vulnerable to the wolf and vulnerable to the bear and the lion and the adder because they get away from the voice of the shepherd. And they no longer hear the voice of the shepherd. Now they become prey. And now, because they've walked their own path, they chose to walk their own path. 
Now they're vulnerable to the enemy. We pray for our nation tonight. Our nation, we need to learn how to run back to God. Run back to God. We need to run back to God as a nation, as a people. Father, as we close our service tonight, we pray that you'll teach us all to come under authority. God, you've set authority up in our lives to better us, to help us. Lord, I pray that, God, we will bring order to our lives, bring order to our lives. I pray, God, that each one of us will learn how to come up under, how to submit ourselves, how to bring our lives up under, God, your delegated authority. And when we do that, God, then all of a sudden you begin to release your anointing on our life like it's supposed to be released. I'm afraid, God, as a nation, we've run into rebellion, and because of that rebellion, we've rejected God's word, we've rejected his warnings, we've rejected what he has spoken to our nation, and we need to come back to the place of repentance, but we need to come not with just a sorrowful heart like Saul. We need to come back with the repentance of Uh, a soul that needs to be restored. That repentance would return us back to God. So anyone listening tonight, I pray your anointing on their life. Many of them are anointed and you're about ready to appoint many people to places of, of leadership and authority in their life, but you cannot do that unless they learn how to submit to your authority. I pray God that your anointing would remain on them, teach them, lead them, guide us. Release that powerful gift that's in their life. Release that thing in their life that promotes them into ministry. Release that thing in them that carries them to the place of your perfect will, God. But I pray that they always fall in line to your authority in their life and your word. May they come up under that word and come up under that leadership. Come up under that authority. We thank you tonight, God, that you are leading and guiding us. That you, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff comfort us. And you are with us. You are in the midst of us. We shall fear no evil because you are in the midst of us. You've anointed us. You've walked with us. You go with us. You're there with us. We're not far from the Father's voice. We're not far from the Shepherd's voice. We can still hear Him when He calls and He corrects us. We can still hear Him when He protects us and leads us and tells us to go left and tells us to go right, tells us to respond to His voice. But even though we go to valleys and dark places, you're still with us. We thank you tonight. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.